the end is getting near. It is our leader's very last day on the earth. Moshe Rabbeinu, this entire parsha, is just describing Moshe's last day. And in this parsha, this double parsha, it's Sovim Vayelech, an action-packed, stuffed parsha, stuffed with lessons, stuffed with a changing of the guard, meeting Moshe's successor, the final mitzvah given to us out of the 613, Moshe Rabbeinu's final act, with one final emphatic exhortation that the Jewish people should dutifully carry out Hashem's Torah, even after he passes. And this week, we're going to focus on one of the most unique mitzvahs, a mitzvah that seems... We may understand it at some level, but when you really dig deep and you imagine the sight that it must have been to witness this mitzvah in action, how miraculous it must have been, and the depth behind it, the hope is that we'll come out with new chachma, new wisdom about it, and then conclude with the most unbelievable extraordinarily inspirational idea from the great altar of Kelm. What is this mitzvah? Which one are we going to speak of? There's none other than the mitzvah of Hakel. Hakel es ha'om, a mitzvah that Moshe Rabbeinu, he tells the Jewish people, the mitzvah is that on the very first day of Cholam O'Wait Sukkis, man, woman, and child, everyone, must travel to the base on Migdash. And the king, standing perched upon a wooden platform, a wooden stage, holding a very unique Torah scroll in his hands, authored by Moshe Rabbeinu himself, will read Sefer Devarim, at least a large part of it, to everyone. Everyone listens quietly. Every word must be heard. It's done by the Jewish people's most significant player, our king. And there's a lot of depth here. And there's a lot to ask on it. What's the point? Why was it done on Sukkot? Why was it done by the king? Why does everybody need to go? And when we really examine the Pesukim, so we have what to work with here, the Parsha tells us, at the end of seven-year cycle, right after Shemitah has concluded, the year of letting the land lay fallow, a year of respite and recovery. Now, immediately following the Shemitah year, the first is boom, first day Cholomoed, boom, king gets up, here we go with Hakel. And everyone's got to be there. And what's the point? Hakel es ha'om, gather the nation together, ha'anoshim v'hanoshim v'hataf. Man, woman, and child, the convert as well. And why? Laman yishme'u, in order that the Jewish people hear, laman yilmadu, and that they learn, yoru, and they fear as Hashem alokechem, that we should learn to fear God and to protect Hashem's mitzvos and to carry them out. 
and even the children, concludes the mitzvah. They are not old enough to learn, to understand, to fear. Still, they should be brought. Everyone. A very interesting mitzvah. The mitzvah we refer to as hakel. We must ask ourselves, what's the point? What's the unique significance? What's it all about? Is it just so that we can learn Torah? Is that what it is? Laman Yilmadu? Well, that wouldn't seem very unique. We're commanded to constantly be nurturing, even in our ordinary lives. Our study of Torah, to talk Torah, to learn Torah, what's new? Why on Sukkot? Why immediately following the Shemitah year? And Rav Hurst gives us, the great Rav Shamshin Rafal, Hurst, that is, gives us a real feeling of this mitzvah. He says, you know, Shemitah was the year that all the businesses closed. Everyone was miraculously sustained. Parnassah was taken care of with miracles. Woman, child, everyone. Supported, man, supported by Hashem in supernatural ways. And here, everyone comes together right after the Shemitah year. Right as the new agricultural and business cycle will begin. We're going into the new year. Shemitah's done. Another seven years. Tithings, making money, bikurim, all the fun stuff. A strong reminder. That everything's miraculous. Understand Laman Yilmadu. Learn. Laman Yishmu. Hear. Yirar. And fear. Yiras Hashem. Right before you go into business. It's all miraculous. It's not in your hands. The holiday of Sukkot, of course. Everyone comes together. Besimcha. Is there any better reminder that even when we were in the wilderness that Hashem protected us with these magical clouds? Makes a lot of sense. Everyone must come to understand this lesson moving forward that it's all from Hashem and you cannot advance except through dutifully following through and fulfilling Hashem's holy Torah. So, for all the years of business coming forth, remember the mitzvah of Hakel. The nation is taught this by its highest representative, the Melech, with the entire assembled nation there the idea of Hashkacha protest, the supernatural is as natural as natural. And the natural is supernatural. And its success can only be had through Torah. It's read to us by this very special Torah from Moshe Rabbeinu. And now, with this hopefully understanding of just the outline of what this mitzvah of Hakel is, coming together to like the big event, the big expo of internalizing Advancement can only be had through following of Hashem's Torah. We turn to the interesting commandment that everybody must go. Everybody, including infants, who are not really involved in agriculture and business. In fact, even at the most basic level of studying Torah, knowing Torah, they have no obligation at all. Well, we are commanded explicitly, Ho'anoshim v'hanoshim, men and women, v'hataf, an infant. Rashi explains to us why the men, well, little to learn. Men got to learn Torah. 
Why the women? They got to listen to Torah. It sounds like they are obligated to know all these messages as well. But why the children? doesn't make any sense. Not bar mitzvah yet. We're going to schlep them out of their cribs, throw them inside of the duna, put them inside the Honda Odyssey, bring them up the mountain, mess up the bedtime schedules. Needless to say that there's a mitzvah that everybody needs to hear every single word of the melech, and now we have 100,000 children inside the Harabayas. It's going to be quite loud. How are you going to hear the Kohen? How are you going to hear the melech during Parsha Zachar? Right? How are you going to hear every single word with a bunch of crying babies? It would seem like a better idea to let them sleep comfortably in their cribs. But no. They must come. Why? Says Rashi. You bring the children. Latav. Lama Bo. Why are they coming? Losses schar lemivieyem. To give reward to those that bring the children. As if there's going to be a big schlep. It's going to be uncomfortable. A lot of screaming loud kids. But it's exactly the point. Seems like the more tircha, the more stress, the more exertion, something more kegs, more exertion, more reward, more schar. It's unbelievable. Now explaining this Rashi, the altar of Kelm gives us a world-shaking pshat. He tells us, using this as a springboard, this Rashi here that tells us that the parents bring the children because the energy exerted in bringing the children up to the Harabayas, even though they can't understand what the king is saying, still it will give more reward to the parents for their efforts. Elder of Kelm explains that there is one sin, one hate so wretched, so evil, so uniquely sinister that he is treated differently than all other sinners. That is, the mesis, the one who is the inciter of Avodah When an individual will go behind closed doors and encourage his friend to say, hey, I got this new idol. Why don't you come back to my house and we'll bow down to it. That fellow treated so harshly. The Pasuk tells us, Lo Sachmo, don't have pity on him. He's so bad. So, when Jewish courts have a million different heterim to try to help acquit somebody, to help him get a good ruling, we're always looking. Lezechus? But not here. Not by the Mesis, not by the insider of Avodazar. He's different. Seems he's even worse than the actual sinner himself. One of the many examples of this is that if you have information that you can testify about somebody who has just been sentenced as guilty, but you have information that may be a cause for a retrial, you are obligated to walk down to the courthouse, give your testimony, and try to help out. But not here. If you have information that may acquit or cause a retrial for this inciter of a Vodazara, you're prohibited from testifying. He doesn't get that tzchus. And while most courts, every single most sinner, he will be judged by an individual who is a more compassionate person. He has children. 
Gamar tells us he should have children. He has to have children, so he has that certain, hopefully mature and very calm approach. He understands the value of life. He's a good judge. Not here. Even an old, gramp, grumpy, childless male can judge this case because it seems this man, this inciter of Avodazar, is just that bad. He's just that wretched. There are many examples of all the different kulos that we will use to acquit somebody that this Mesis does not have access to. It's hard to understand, but perhaps at least the beginning of the idea, why is this guy so bad? It just seems to be the opposite of everything that Jewish people stand for. You're encouraging evil. You're the opposite of Avram Avinu. You're just the worst. But the Biruchim tells us that the altar of Kelm told us we have this misora, we have this tradition that good outweighs evil. And if there is something so uniquely bad about encouraging people to go off, to do bad, to sin, to, hey, come over and sin with me, well, then can you even imagine the greatness of coaxing people to the path of Torah and righteousness? To be mezakes harabim? Could you imagine the schar and persuading the Jewish people to come back to the path of righteousness and light and Hashem? To be oisik b'tzorche tzibur be'emuna? It's unimaginable. We can just learn that from the fact that good is multiplied by multiple times more than evil. And if the evil person is treated this harshly, just imagine somebody who's trying to get people to do good things. How much grace, how much chain he's looked upon by HaKadosh Baruch And now, here's where things get really interesting. There is one more halacha regarding this insider of evil. And it is that even if he will go over and try to encourage a sin, but that person will deny him, say, I'm not interested. Keep your idol to yourself. I don't want nothing. As if you walked over to the Chafetz Chaim's house, knocked on his door and said, hey, I have this inappropriate new television show on Netflix. Why don't you come watch it? And of course, he flicks you and says, get out of my house. I want no interest in it. Of course, you're unsuccessful. But you're still punished. When it comes to the Mesis, the insider, again, this is one of the Chumras. Even though you didn't pull through and convincing people to sin, you're still punished because of your failed attempt at pushing people off the path of terror. We see that in trying to encourage people, motivate them to do either good or bad, says the altar of God. It doesn't even matter if they listen. And now flipping it back, continuing on this path, now when you're trying to encourage people for good, says the altar of Kelm, to be mezakeh as harabim and teach them Torah, set up their kiddushes and encourage them and give drushes and say to him for them and help them out. And maybe they don't even listen to the shir. They don't even take your help. The students aren't even listening. The bachram aren't growing. The girls aren't steiging. It's just not working. But it doesn't matter. Because when it comes to influencing people, 
Just like the inciter of evil is punished even without success, all the more so. The person cajoling, coaxing, and motivating people for good is rewarded that much more even if nobody listens to him. This chara is there for the trying. What an unbelievable chiddush. You're giving your shear to a big shul. You send out the flyers. Going around the town, come to this new shear on Lush and Hara. And try to go through the laws and we're going to really get into it and become better people and protect our mouths from speaking slander. And comes the night of the shear and nobody shows up. You still give that shear with all the zest. And all the excitement, even though nobody's listening, you still get the same schar, it sounds like. The Bachram. They're not becoming Talmidei Chachamim. They're not listening to the words, God forbid, of their Rebbe. The Rebbe's still being Marbit Torah. He's still trying to encourage and motivate. The students, not listening to the Mora, to the teacher. They're still chutzpatik. But the teacher... Should never stop attempting, it sounds like. Because you're still rewarded. You're still doing the right thing. And you're trying to motivate Jewish people to be Mezaka as a rabbin. And we can add to that. Even if nobody listens, even if nobody can understand what you're talking about. Even if your efforts are futile, futile, still, you never stop encouraging and motivating. And so back to our question. The children? You're bringing up the little kids? They can't hear anything. They can't understand anything. doesn't mean anything to them. Really, why is there any schar going to the parents if the kids aren't going to get anything out of it? The question doesn't start. When it comes to inspiring and motivating and helping out the public, it doesn't matter if anybody gets anything from it. It doesn't matter if the kids will never understand it. It doesn't matter if the kids have headphones on and they can't hear anything, but if you're bringing them up and you're trying to be mechazik them, putting in the effort, well then, it reads beautifully in our Rashi. The tough, the kids, they cannot get anything out of it, yet still paid handsomely. The chizuk this week is that you should never stop encouraging. You should never stop teaching. You should never stop talking. You should never stop any of the good practices that you have. Furthermore, I'm not sure that the world talks about this enough, but the Shulchan Aruch of Musr, the duties of our heart, a safer. He tells us that it is impossible to enter into the next world, be meritorious, without being Mazaka as If you know all of Torah and you are fully righteous, but you were totally selfish the entire time and you never encouraged the public, you never were Mazaka as you were never Osek Bitsarchait Sibar? Well, then you just simply don't have a key to the next world. Needless to say, the Chavis Halavavis tells us the second reason you should do it is because it's just a better investment. Every single time you teach Torah or help somebody, they just become certain 
soldiers in your army of Torah and mitzvahs that are now racking up even more bonus points on your own account. Needless to say. The great altar of Navardic has an entire chapter about the importance of just being Mazaka as a rabbi. It's everything. If you go through the greatest Jewish heroes, most influential figures in our history, you will find one common thread that they are all remarkable klal people, people of the public, people that are trying to help as many people as possible. From Avram Avinu all the way down to Chaim Kanievsky, giving up of their time. Remarkable Bali Chasadim. So many through the years. And this is now a new monkey wrench in all of this. That even if you're not successful, even if nobody listens, even if you got all the tzedakah money, or you got all the different time that you're trying to give away, and you're trying to encourage, and you're trying to teach, and nobody comes to the share, and nobody's listening, you still bring the kids. You still get the reward. In the same way that the Mesas was totally unsuccessful and inciting people to do evil, he still gets punished. Double, triple, 500 times the good reward for somebody who tries even if he's not successful. So never stop teaching. Never stop motivating. Give your time, give your energy, and give your effort to the people. Be osik and go be mazaka as a rabbin. Kill them, can't